On Living a Sex Positive Life, we explore all aspects of human sexuality. We talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures and the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. We strive to be an advocate and an empowering force in the fight for sexual freedom. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and talk about the touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna. What's up? I want to get a new toy. Well, let's go to Fair Villa. But I don't want to waste time reading the instructions trying to figure out how it works. Well, their staff is very well educated and helpful, and Fairville University also offers classes. But I want to go to the party instead. <sighs> then check fairvilla.com. Their calendar has all their events that happen on a regular basis. But I don't want to spend a lot of money. Have you heard of their loyalty program? Oh, is that that thing on my keychain that makes everyone blush? Oh yeah, let's go! Well, which one? They have five locations around Florida. Fairvilla. For pleasure, fun, and fantasy. Hey everyone, it's Angelique Luna. I am here with my co-host, partner in crime, uh, instigator, cheerleader, God knows what else, tech guy, because he's been tech support during this our venture but in Poly Dallas. We are in Poly Dallas, and I, I was co-presenter. Um, no one showed, <laughs> but I was co-presenting. Okay, you're we, ruining my street cred now. You are so ruining my street well, cred. Well, we did, we did. No, but you did too. And now here comes the doggy. Uh, you did two presentations. I join you on one of them. Yes, yes, our, our, our fun. Uh, okay, we're just waiting to the doggies go, go walk away. This is the joy of recording in a lobby of a hotel. And, and yes, we expect Uber Eats will show up soon <laughs> and a lift or something. So it's been fun. Um, today's day two of Saturday of the conference. We did our presentation yesterday on Friday the 13th, which happened to also be our sixth year wedding anniversary. Yay! Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. Doing anything for six years these days is a challenge. So, <laughs> well done. Well, considering half our relationship is on the road anyways, so yeah. We but, keep it interesting though. Yes. I mean, we get to have an anniversary at a poly convention. That, that's, I feel like we should have been celebrating that more, or throw a party, or... At least get hammered like we need a reason or something. Uh, yeah, we, we still got days. We got two, two, two days ago. It is Saturday now, so challenge accepted. <laughs> I like it. I dig it. Well, Fantastic. yesterday, you know, Dirty Lola was doing her sex at a go-go and had Dirty Lola's drinks, so there we go. We were celebrating. Yeah, good stuff. How do we not know that there's a drink called a Dirty Lola? I had one last night. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. I just didn't know. I'd know the person before the drink. I found out. Yeah, yeah. That was... Um, you know, if there's an Angelique Luna, I need to know about that, too. Not yet. Not yeah, yet. there's a Zach Bud, but it's just called bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just called bourbon. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> so, uh, we forgot to introduce our guest there. Oh, no. It's Mr. Zach Bud. He's also a presenter here. So, tell us, uh, Zach, what, what's your pronouns? A little bit about you. Oh, what do you do? What awesome. you talk about? Well, thank you for asking. Yeah, uh, Zach Bud, I um, cis-hit male. Uh, mostly hit, I should say. Um, so yeah, he and his works, which is Zach. I go with that. Um, I identify as polyamorous, as kinky, sadistic top, um, solo poly. I have partners, but I, I don't have any nesting or, or primaries or anything like that. Um, Wakandan, bourbon, hockey, coffee, and dog lover. Um, <laughs> and I also identify as a sex positive slut as well. So uh, yeah, so that's me. What I was doing, so I, um, my presentation was um, on what I've been working on probably the last two and a half years now is uh, the, the five pillars of consent 
and so my presentation was the pillars upon which to build a consent culture. Okay. And so what I did is um, several years ago, I just started researching consent as like a personal project and built out of it a presentation containing what I call the five pillars of consent. I just had a PowerPoint presentation designed around that, and it's normally about an hour or so long. And what I started doing was just presenting that presentation locally where I live in the Houston area. And every time I do it, someone will ask me to do it again. So I was in the Houston area, then I was doing it in Austin, then I got asked to do it in Dallas. I submitted to Rocky Mountain Poly Living and ended up presenting there um, this year. When I was there, Ruby from Poly Dallas Millennium saw my presentation and asked me to come here. So uh, every time I do it, I get asked to do it again. So it's been awesome. But uh, yeah, that's the, the main thing that I work on right now. And that's why I was here as a presenter, was talking about the pillars upon which to build a consent culture. Awesome. So what would be the five pillars of consent? I'm glad that you asked. Awesome. So my five pillars of consent, I have an acronym I call the um, INVEST process. So informed, voluntary, enthusiastic, specific, and timed. Timed is one I haven't heard yet. Okay. But it's probably, it's probably yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it should be there. It's there. I mean, and, and trust, it's there. I mean, you may not hear it talked about. I pointed out. So, and I'll just tell you if you want to know, um, the timed notion or the timed part of consent has two parts to it. One, it's linear. In other words, you have to ask before to do something. Okay. Asking for permission afterwards doesn't count. That, that I always say that saying better to ask for forgiveness than permission is by definition in the consent world bullshit. Essentially, when someone's saying that, what they're saying is you might say no, so I'm not going to give you the chance. I'm going to do it anyway. That by definition is a coercion. It's a consent violation. You have to ask before you do something. So consent is linear. You have to ask before you, you actually do it. Secondly, if you're having a negotiation or a conversation with somebody and you propose something for which they need your consent and you don't mention a time frame, you have to assume that the only agreed upon time is the immediate one. For example, if you offer a hug and I say, okay, I've given you permission to hug me one time. If you see me in two hours, you don't have perpetual Zach hug privileges. If we don't discuss, you have the right to hug me for the rest of the conference. After that initial one is done, that's it. You have to renegotiate moving forward. So it's timed where you have to either list a time or presume that if you didn't list a time, then the one specifically, the immediate one, is the default. So that's the time part. It's funny because if someone said, well, you said yes to me sex once, that means sex all the time. Of course, everyone would go no. Right. But you apply right. it to a hug and people go, oh. Yeah. And I, I've used as, as an example, I've actually had that happen before where I went to a party, a, a Christmas party um, where I live. And my birthday is around Christmas, so I'm always grumpy around the time because people forget oh. my birthday. And I went to the party. I knew the hostess, a uh, bunch of poly people there, and went and said hi and kind of hugged her. And I was hanging out like I did, or like you do. And after about two hours, I just wasn't feeling it. I wanted to leave, and I wanted to walk out. She wanted to hug me again. Well, I was no longer in the mood to hug. It's like, no, no, thank you. And she looked at me as though I had just punched her. I'm like, listen, I was cool with being hugged before. I'm not now. And the reality is you don't know what I've been through. I could have just gotten bad news. I could have just been assaulted. Just because I was cool with it then doesn't mean I'm cool with it now. And if I didn't say you can hug me from now on every time you see me, I have the right to say I don't want to be hugged, even if I said yes two hours ago. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the example I use to sort of explain that is, you know, the time nature of it is unless I specifically, because people talk about, especially in long-term relationships, well, what about blanket consent, which is where essentially you give somebody a perpetual permission, but even then you still have to go through the entire consent process. No one just has blanket consent in a vacuum. <laughs> you that's know, true. It is, you just met somebody, and from now on, they can do whatever they want to you. Period. The end. I've never seen an example never of that. Last. Now I say that, and if it gets broadcast, someone will prove to me that I'm wrong. But I, I've never seen that. At some point, you had to have had a negotiation, 
about it. Oh, and all yeah. I'm oh, saying yeah. is that your negotiations have to include a time aspect of it. And if not, there's a default. So. Yeah, I mean, we still do it when we see a lot of our friends here at the conference. I still ask, you know, it's like, I know that I can, but I still ask yeah. just because I know some of them have chronic illness. What's mm-hmm. your pain tolerance? Are you able to have a hug? Yeah. What's going on? Right. You know, and yeah. then even in our local dungeon, you know, we have some people that, yeah, you know, we've hugged, but oftentimes I'm like, okay, I'm not sure. So unless they approach me, then I hug them. But sometimes even at that point, they all, they might think I'm stuck up. Okay. But it's, I'm just like, no, it's, I respect your boundaries, yeah. you know, and not all of us are automatically huggers. I'm like, we are, we'll hug everybody, but mm-hmm. we know everyone else is probably not in the same headspace. Yeah, and I've experienced that, especially in some of these, you know, communities we're talking about, poly, kinky, mm-hmm. uh, swinger communities, whatever. I mean, even conference communities, people, whenever you go through a shared experience, there tends to be an intimacy, and people assume that. And I've seen a lot of people that treat hugging like it's a handshake. And I'm not mad at it, but the re- for me, particularly, hugging is actually a trigger because I've been assaulted by somebody who started with a hug. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want people I don't know hugging me. Right. And I went through much of my adult life literally cringing every time somebody wanted to hug me. One, because I wasn't cool with it, but two, because I thought that I had to let people hug me just because they offered and it right. wasn't until you know, several years ago that I started to sort of assert my right to a bodily autonomy and mm-hmm. say, listen, I have the right to yeah. not be hugged and I have the right to not be abused if I decide to not be hugged. Yes. And I just had to get vocal about it saying, listen, and now I, I'm, I used to just be mean and say, don't fucking hug me. Mm-hmm. But now I'm at the point where if you ask, I am much more likely to say yes. Yes. But I would always say thank you for asking. Yeah. You know, and, and that's all it is. Just, and, but I've had to train people around me to understand, listen, I need you to ask first, and I'm more likely to do it. Okay. Now people who know me will usually ask, and then I'm down. Yeah, so. and that's what, in my presentations yesterday, one was, it's like, how to talk to your kids about sex, and the oh, wow. was Cookies and Consent, which is an interactive workshop with um, everything we teach about consent, cool. but then you practice it building the cookie together. Sweet. So it's an enthusiastic nice. yes or enthusiastic no. But when talking about your kids about sex, I add that in the presentation. You need to teach those kids that they have empowerment over their own bodies. Yes. And, you know, that if grandma is pinching her cheek, and you don't want to hug her, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Not like this, because I grew up in the Mexican household. It's like, yeah, go hug your grandma. Don't make me look bad. You know, you have no choice. Right. So to them, they always had to say yes, even though it was against their will. Yeah. You know, and that's where I'm trying to teach parents. It's like, if you teach them now, then you cut down the abuse, possibilities, anything that happens to them. And then they're able to communicate there in their relationships. Because right. what we as a society keep forgetting that parts of a a sexual relationship is communication. Mm-hmm. You know, sex is probably, the action is probably 15, 20% of the whole thing. The rest should be all about, you know, communications. How do you ask for consent? How do you give consent? Would mm-hmm. you describe what you like? Right. Come on. These are, you know, things that we as an adult even have a hard time doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned that growing up in, in a Mexican household. I grew up in a black community. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I mentioned that as an identity. I'm black and poly as a person of color. And again, you know, in many cases, very matriarchal, very you respected elders. And I have an example. Of, uh, one of my grandmothers asked me to do something. I don't remember what because it was so long ago. Um, and or she asked me a question. And my response, my answer was no, but I know it's not nice to tell your grandmother no. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say yes because that would have been lying. And so my young eight or nine-year-old brain 
could only come up with something in the middle, which was essentially sort of a shrug. And that was perceived by her as a slight, as a disrespect. Yeah. And because of that, it led to years of essentially emotional abuse, treating me like I don't know how to talk to my elders, I'm, a, I'm the disrespectful son, I was the bad one, and all this other stuff. And the sad part about that is because of that one interaction, you know, she eventually passed away before we ever, you know, resolved that. My grandmother went to her grave, and I thought she hated me. It wasn't until my mother had to explain to me that it was a misunderstanding, and that wasn't what she meant. But she was from a generation that, you know, if the child doesn't respect their elders, you just sort of put them off. Yeah. And so, I, it was, for me as a kid, I learned that it's very difficult to say no to people who have some perceived sort of power over you. Mm -hmm. And dealing with that as an adult kind of scares me. I don't have any children, but I, I can't imagine the whammy that adults put on kids when they're not allowed to say no to people. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to telling them, let them say no, for fuck's sake, we live in a society full of people that are terrified of saying no. And that becomes an issue because if people are afraid to say their no, especially when the answer is no, it's really hard to get the consent conversation right. Yes. You know, and that's not to victim blame. It's just to tell our society, stop beating people up for being honest. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if a kid doesn't want to be hugged, let them not be hugged. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that's a problem. So, yeah. but that's, again, I don't have kids. So. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is a uh, changing dynamics because even in the presentation, we're like teaching kids consent as the age of two. That's as simple as like the tickle game. I mean, come yeah. on, we all do the tickle game. If the, the kid says no, then you stop. If right. they want more, then you ask again. Are you sure? And then yes, that's teaching them kids consent. Yeah. And if they're laughing, do it. If it's just funny to make them squirm, come on. Yeah. I mean, that's that's sadism one one. You know, well, stop yeah, it. What kind of sadist you are? Like, I am. Daughter, but, but you know, she's a I teenager. Mean, <laughs> I, I'm a sadistic fuck, but I, I'm I'm an ethical sadist. I only hurt people that want to be hurt. You know, and I enjoy hurting people that want to be hurt. I can't just hurt someone for the hell of it. There's a difference between sadism and sociopathy. Well, one, the person goes home happy and won. Yeah. The other time, they go home in a plastic bag. Or, or some, yeah, home. right. But, yeah. Yeah. Someone broke the toy. Yeah, yeah there's, there's way too diverging sort of, you know, outcomes here. And yeah, clearly. So, yeah. No, I identify as a sadist and, and kinky as well. But I, I make sure I get the consent part down because then you can relax and actually have fun. Yeah. Um, no. Outside of it, I'm always terrified something bad's going to happen. So it's another reason why it's so important to me being a kinky person as well. So yeah. Interesting there. So explain more your definition of solely solo polyamorous. So um, I am my own primary, even though I don't really do hierarchies. <laughs> but um, it's funny. I've gotten into this a lot lately. About we've all heard that phrase, "charity begins at home," and for me, another word for charity is love. And so I love myself first. I'm in a relationship with myself. I, my self-care is me. I take myself on dates. I am solo poly in that I worry about me first. I don't live with anybody else. I don't have an anchor partner. I've got multiple partners who are all amazing people, but I go to bed alone in a king-size bed most of the time, unless you know someone's over. It's me and the dog, um, and so I focus on me. Now, for me as a solo polyamorous person, it's very freeing because I'm a natural introvert and a loner, so sometimes I want my free time, and I get most of my free time just to myself. But what's amazing is me being that type of person. I've got partners who have their own lives. They're married. They've got kids. They've got other partners. And they invite me to share part of their lives with them, which is very, very honoring and validating for me. Because here I am, this sort of lone wolf. And yet, you know what? Hey, I like you enough to have you come and spend time with me and hang out with me and my kids. And for me, that's very much an honor because I, I, I'm not a parent. and I don't know much about being a parent other than you probably can't scream at them the way you can adults. I mean... Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, solo poly is just very much the freedom of being my own self and my own person, and I answer to me. 
Now, I'm, again, respectful and I communicate and I talk about boundaries and things like that. But ultimately, I make the decisions for what I do as far as um, my life, my relationships, whom I love and how. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it, mm-hmm. I think. I'm yeah. probably missing something in there. So. <laughs> oh, there's so much to it because there's right. no right or wrong way to do poly. Exactly. And that's where, you know, we, we learn that. We try to preach that, too, because people are like, well, no, you got to do this and you have to be in this. And you have. I'm like, no, you don't. No. And it's like even yeah. in the mental health community, it's like trying to figure out what is going to be best for your client based on the dynamics that they're working because mm-hmm. you know one person might enjoy being a solo poly and then another person's like i want to be a triad i want to be in a right. b i want to you know it, it's like how do you define it in the communication on that and it can change i mean i started off in situations where i was hierarchical um and i realized doing a lot of introspection that i have a fundamental problem with declaring a primary primary because it makes everybody else secondary mm-hmm. and somebody i love isn't secondary to me um now that being said as somebody now who dates people who mostly have their own nesting partners i'm very very adamant about the fact that i don't mind being the secondary partner when i start to feel secondary is when i get bothered by it and i think there's a difference to that mm-hmm. it's not that i want to take precedence over somebody if they're married but it's just i don't want to feel like i'm the secondary other option i get left out of stuff because that sucks no one wants to feel like they are what's available Mm -hmm. no one wants to feel like the seconds if you will you know so if i'm going to be a part of a relationship where i take on another partner in a meta and they've got other partners that's cool i just i don't want to feel like i'm the outcast it's kind of added on because you were an option at the time Mm -hmm. and so when i get the thing that i love about polyamory is it gives me the freedom to express fully in each relationship individually and i want to be able to do that with some independence, I mean, within reason. If someone's got a family and kids and whatnot, I mean, I, I don't expect to take all of their time up. But with when they decide to spend some of their time with me, I want it to be us and ours and us developing that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, whenever all that has to get put aside, again, in the cases of emergency, I get it. But uh, there's nothing more liberating than being on a date with a partner in their house um, where they live with their nesting partner. You've got a family emergency going on. And they say to you, do you need us to help you with something? How can we help you? That's pretty freaking amazing as somebody who is solo. Mm-hmm. Because what that means is I end up having sort of de facto extra families, even though I live alone. You know, and that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I really did that. It's one of the things you get in polyamory, you don't get in a lot of other places. Right. Yeah. You get to have your freedom, and it's not so much freedom, but you get to do the solo and the support system. Yes. Yeah. And it's that being on your own, I think that lets being single go to loneliness. Yeah. And obviously loneliness is not something that's present in your life. Right. Yeah. And it's, again, I'm, I'm a natural loner. I don't get lonely often. It does happen. But I, don't get, I mean, but I spend well, a lot of time alone. And, but it's, not only that, for me, family is often who I choose and who chooses me. And so I have to be very intentional about it. And so I love intentional families. I love when I look up in my polycule of people that I've chosen and they're amazing people. I didn't just pick them up, you know, by default. And they want to be a part of my life and want me to be a part of theirs. That's very freaking validating that they're there because they want to be. And if it's if, if one of my girlfriends is married, she's got this amazing job. She travels all over the country. She's got three kids. She's got all these amazing things going on. And she still takes her time to spend some time and energy with me. That's so validating to have somebody who's got all this going on and saying, by the way, you the little grumpy loner dude over there. I, I kind of like you and want to spend time with you and talk to you, tell you how much I love you and stuff like that. That's awesome. 
That is, you know, it's, it's very, very affirming. It's what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's an honor. Absolutely. Now, what are some adventures you've experienced in your coming into polyamory? Wow. <laughs> adventures. I've never thought of it like that. Let me see. Yeah, I mean, you I say adventures and I, just, I see myself on a, like a comic book cover. Um, <laughs> well, because I don't like the horror stories or the okay. good time. Because you do go through that roller coaster of okay. good times, bad times. And it is like an adventure. All right. Let me see if I can think of something different. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I don't have any kids. Uh-huh. For me, it's always fascinating to be in a relationship with people that have kids because, one, I've learned that particularly in non-monogamy circles or there are, and because I mostly date women, that's all, all I really date is women, when they have kids, oftentimes they're used to dealing with partners who are basically waiting for the kids to be out of the way so they can actually spend time with their partner. And I'm kind of the opposite. I love watching my partners be good moms. Mm-hmm. One, it's a turn-on. It's, it's kind of sexy not in a creepy way, but just it's neat to see somebody who cares about something that much and puts their effort into it and really wants to be a good mom. One of the best um, experiences I had with the current partner of mine, the one I was talking about earlier, an amazing woman who's got a bunch of kids and whatnot. We live in different cities, and one morning I was just up, and I was, we were texting her early, and she was getting up, waking the kids up, and getting them ready for school. And I'm listening to their morning routine. So I was listening to her get on Alexa and wake up the other one in the room. I was listening to her prepare breakfast and tell me what everybody's having. I was listening to them get dressed and get the lunch boxes. And it was one of those experiences where, again, as a solo poly person, I'm there with the family, with this woman that I love, with these kids that she loves, listening to her be a great mom. It was really, really cool and just awesome. And you just hear her talking. And of course, I'm on the speakerphone, so I'm talking to the kids too. And all that's kind of neat. And, and so that's, for me, those are the kind of the experiences I really, whenever I get to sort of be adjacent to parental without actually being a parent. Right. Another experience was a partner of mine, um, Anna Meta, had a child who uh, kind of preteen, teenage, adolescent, and was uh, in a relationship, was in a, a queer relationship as a young teenager, was a person of color. And they were having an issue with dealing with that parent because the parent was freaked out because their child was queer. And realized that they didn't really know how to speak to it because they weren't people of color. Mm-hmm. And they flat out said, Zach, do you have any input here? And I was like, well, I can tell you what I know culturally. Obviously, I don't know this person of color in particular, but I can kind of contribute. That felt good to be brought into, hey, what could we possibly be dealing with here from the other person's point of view? Right. And I, I mean, and on the one hand, at first, it, it almost kind of bugged me because I felt like, hey, you're a black guy. Come tell us about this stuff. <laughs> but it was, listen, we are admitting that we don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> Right. Um, and can you somehow uh, uh, help shed some insight? And that was a great experience, too, that I realized I could not have gotten outside of Mm-hmm. So, I'm trying to think if I have any other good ones. So, <laughs> I mean, this is more of a horror story, but uh, oftentimes whenever I was facilitating discussion groups for polyamory, I would always tell people that ask about poly, and they always say, well, what's it like? What's, what's the difference? And I always tell people that polyamory is just multiple relationships. It's just like any other relationship, only we do more of it. So everything in poly is just more. We have more, sometimes more dates. You have more birthdays you have to remember. More Valentine's presents to concern about if people care more about that thing. More dishes at Christmas time. Um, and I always say, you also have more breakups. Um, I went through a period of time where I had four breakups in a month and a half. Ouch! And it's funny, I recorded a podcast episode on it, and I'll share the link with you if you remind me. Um, oh, yeah. And they actually called it the domino effect. I literally went through four breakups in a month and a half. That was brutal. But the interesting thing is I, I define it as a crucible moment because as bad as that went, where I went from four to none, 
<laughs> right around my birthday and Valentine's Day, I ended up, you know, curled up in a ball on the floor in my house with Netflix watching me. And it occurred to me that it never came to my mind that I should give up being poly because of how bad things were going. Right. And that's when I realized that for me, poly isn't just a choice. It's an, or, it's an orientation. This is what I am. So when I'm not dating anybody and poly sucks and it sucks to be polyamorous and everybody's breaking up with me, or if you're a single guy with multiple partners and three of them are mad at you at once, it really sucks to be poly at that point. You know, and that's an experience that, you know, monos or what I call muggles won't have. But it, it was one of those things where I stripped down everything else. It was very, very bad. It never occurred to me to give up the polyamory. I was like, no, this is what I am. This is how I live. It just has its ups and downs like all of life does. Right. And uh, it also made me realize that community is important because you can't go to your non-poly friends and tell them about that. Because the first thing they're saying is, why don't you just give up chasing around so many women and settle down with one? And I was like, well, listen, I was settled down with one and I was more miserable than I am now. I'm never going back to that. I'd rather try it again with four more mm-hmm. than be stuck with one knowing I'm miserable and trying to make it work. So. Yeah. So those are some adventures. I'm sure yep. there's more. Oh, absolutely there. Because like I said, it does go up and down. You can't really say that it is like, um, you know, the good and the bad. It's an, always an adventure going on. And then, um, you know, it, it's always interesting. But also, like we've mentioned, you're a preferred black person or people of color? I black. I prefer black. black yeah. Okay. Yeah. Black with a capital B if you're writing it. Okay, yeah. perfect. Absolutely. It's like, I always check because some Thank people, you. you know, Thank you. For, I, I appreciate that so much. You have no idea. Yeah, because yeah. I'm the queen of offending people just because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just Mexican and I just have a loosey-goosey mouth. That's so. cool, yeah. If, if it matters, I don't really like African Americans mm-hmm. because I know people who are from Africa and, yeah. I, and I, I won't do that to them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Th- so. That's absolutely. Yeah. Um, have you seen the difference in the polyamory dating between whites and people of color? Mm, um, yeah, it's hard to find polyamorous people of color. At least it is for me. Um, and I don't know if that's a me thing or if that's just a community thing. Let's be honest. Not a lot of people of color in polyamory. There's some. Um, or it's, I think Kevin Patterson was talking about this in his talk. It's not called polyamory. It's basically messing around or having a side piece or something like that within the black community. So polyamory is revolutionary as far as people of color from my perspective in the black community because my whole life I've heard stories of these men who were players and had multiple women. But it it's, wasn't what I consider my polyamory, which is where I'm transparent. I have the conversations. I negotiate. I don't just have four girlfriends and none of them know about each other. You know, right. I want them to know. Because from my point of view, if I end up sick or in the hospital and there are four people who love me, they're going to meet each other in the emergency room anyway. I'd rather them be aware of that. So the difference, I think, is one, as a person of color, we're already by definition a minority. There's so few of us. Um, And polyamory, which itself is a minority, you're another minority within a minority. And so finding other people of color is just hard. Um, Now, that being said, I don't just date any one particular ethnicity at all that's it's for me i i prefer humans females um i prefer people who are very very polyamory aware if not poly themselves i, I don't like dating newbies or muggles um i call it, I call it pollinating trying Polliny- to turn somebody oh, from cool. monogamy to, to, to it's a challenge it, it's, like to say the least, pollinating. it's yeah, yeah yeah i started calling it pollinating um i, I i'm okay with it because somebody's got to I've done it once or twice before, and it doesn't work for me. Not only that, I don't have that kind of energy. 
Yeah. I'd rather you have worked out some of. I would rather you have dated in Polly and fucked up a couple of times and worked out some of your shit than me to have to do a Polly one on one with you on the first to the fifth date and then act like we actually have a relationship. So, um, so that's hard. So, just finding people, um, and then the differences are, as people of color and polyamory, we're so far outside of any, I guess, norm or realm or definition anyway. We're all kind of blazing our own path. That's the one thing about people who are polyamory, or polyamorous in today's age. By the way, I keep using the full term polyamorous because I was born on an island with an indigenous Polynesian population, and yeah. I try not to use the prefix poly. Yeah. Um, speaking of offending people. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> so anyway, I, I think as people of color, we're so far outside the norm. We're, we're pioneers. We're just doing brand new things. And so for me, I just want to date people who want to date me. That's if I have a type, I have a the type I have is women who are interested in me. Period. That's kind of it. So the challenge is just like any other challenge, just finding somebody, compatibility, and then having a relationship. Um, are is their crazy worse than my crazy? Um, you know, scheduling of course is always the big challenge, and nobody's good with a calendar. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't see it necessarily as being a person of color any different other than it's another hurdle. Although it helps for me. It's, it's something that sifts things out. If, if one of the first things they say to me on our first day is I've never dated a black guy before, I usually walk away. Um, but that's just because I, I know I'm black. You don't have to remind me. I mean, it, it's I, yeah. it, because if it becomes an issue for you, it means it's going to be an issue. And I'm not doing that emotional labor. I need somebody to work that part out first. Yeah. (laughs) I think a lot of us have been through a lot of the newbies. And it's not that... We've all been newbies and we want to... We would like to help newbies. Yeah. But I'll advise newbies. Right. don't need to go ahead and and be a primary to a newbie. And again, it's a level of emotional labor I don't want to do. I've I've done it a couple times before. I've dated the people who were newbies, and what they actually were were people who were monogamous, who were hoping if they stuck around long enough, I would give up being polyamorous. Wow. Oh, I actually wow. had someone say that to me. I was hoping this was something you would grow out of, um, which is why I'm kind of, again, I need you to be, I'm, I don't want you to be, you don't have to be gold star poly, but I need I'm, I need some poly references before I go for, because I, I, I can't afford to be two, three years down the road in this relationship and realize that you were just hoping I would get over this shit. You know, that's oh yeah, it's such a fad. This is how I'm wired. This is not going away. You know, and and it's and I've been down that road before. So yeah, it's I'm not mad at newbies, but I will just as soon as show you, hey, there's this you know discussion group. Go learn some stuff. Call me in a year, and maybe then we'll you know we'll do that. It's it's not. There are people who do it, and and kudos to them because somebody's got to. It's not me. So how did you start in this whole journey altogether? Was it like a blogging? Was it a podcast you mentioned? Are you talking about with being the speaker or, or just in polyamory in general? Just all of it because it's like it seems like it kind of evolved like from being a poly then telling your story and yeah. becoming a speaker. So that that's why I'm like, so how is your journey all starting? Okay, let me see. So life journey. So I was born. Okay, no. <laughs> um, I, realized, I realized I was not monogamous after trying a series of monogamous relationships it didn't work and eventually when my marriage of about six years fell apart brutally because I was discovering that I'm not monogamous and I tried to have a conversation with my, my wife at the time and the response was you just need to learn how to behave better that marriage obviously had to end and, and I moved and I, that's when I started doing what I should have been doing all along was a lot of introspection and it's when I discovered okay I'm not monogamous and then that was when I started doing things like reading 
the ethical slut, like um, getting into some of the literature. Um, now, this was back in 07, 06, 07, somewhere around mm-hmm. there. So I was discovering some of these things, but not all of it. Dabbled in swinging. It doesn't work for me. I'm a natural introvert and I'm shy, which means you end up being the guy that hangs out watching the dip all night. So that didn't work out for me a lot. Um, and then I, I think opening up by Tristan Taramino, Mythical Slut, realizing there were other things, some podcasts. Uh, I, I'm sure there's a bunch of them. I forget the ones off the top of my head. I think I first heard the term polyamory from Dan Savage, but don't quote me on that. And then just reading some of the books that are out there, Stranger in a Strange Land, things like that. Um, the main turning point for me locally as a practitioner was when I bumped into a discussion group in the Houston area. There's a weekly polyamory per discussion group that takes place. I started going to that. Then I started facilitating for it, and I'd been facilitating for it for a couple of years. And every Monday, we were having these conversations about polyamory, and I was doing the research and reading. And then I started reading, opening up, and, and, and I started reading uh, Jenny Block's book. Uh, when Dr. Eli Sheff uh, published about the polyamorous next door, I read The Chalice and the Blade. I read Sex at Dawn. I'm a geek, so I do a lot of reading. Uh, and I kind of got into that. That's when, I, at that point, I had the definition for polyamory, and it defined it for me. When More Than Two came out, I, I still tell people opening up More Than Two and uh, The Ethical Slut are probably, if we have a polyamorous canon, it's probably them. There's some others I would throw in yeah. there. Now I would throw Kevin's book, oh, Love yeah. Is Not Colorblind. That book came out. I bought it. I read it in a week. I was live tweeting the whole time. It's amazing. I can't wait to get into Dr. Powell's book because it's amazing. We keep getting these great authors who are publishing now. Um, so getting the literature, anyway, that's when I really kind of got into the polyamory thing. I'd always been kinky. Uh, didn't mostly it was me perving from home and I started reaching out for community and doing that um, and as a leader in kink and poly communities in Houston I was constantly dealing with an issue here or there where somebody's consent was being violated or we were putting on a poly cocktails and somebody would come to us because this person made them feel creepy and it was a bad date and can we do something about this and I just really there kept on being these issues with consent coming up and as a person who practices both kink and polyamory, I was looking into kink and just researching it as a personal project. I can pinpoint the moment when I decided to do more than just read and research, where I went from geek to activist. And it's I went on a date with a partner of mine, a girlfriend of mine, to a bar, and we were talking, a bunch of um, poly people there, we were just having conversations, as will happen. And at some point, consent came up. One statement was made by, I'll call him a gentleman, even though he's not, and he essentially <laughs> said that we would have fewer problems with consent if we could teach women to say no better. Almost spit my bourbon out when he said that. Took a break. Deep breath. Okay. Misguided soul out there. Let it go. The next statement was made by a woman. And essentially she was describing a situation where she literally waited for her boyfriend to come home. He had worked a 14-hour shift. Let him take a shower. Wanted to have sex with him because she was horny all day. And so she was waiting for him to come home. He told her, babe, I'm tired. I just want to go to sleep. She waited for him to go to sleep. Took her panties off and sat on his face. And then made the comment that pussy was even struggling. And I told him, he's getting me off before I get off. And I'm sitting here listening to this woman describe how she just raped somebody. And she thought it was funny. And the oh people listening God. thought this was funny. And so here in front of me were two examples of people who were polyamorous. Or non-monogamous. They might have been swingers too. One male and one female both essentially saying some of the most horrendous things you can say in a consent culture. And I was like, that's it. I have to do something. This is ridiculous. Yes. I mean, at this point, I'm in my almost 40s. At the time, I'm in my 40s now. And I realize I do not live in a consent culture. I probably won't ever in my lifetime. But I can't wait and hope this will get better. 
yeah. we have got to do better humans, you know. And, and so research became, literally I built a, a presentation and just started talking to whoever will listen. And, then, and that ended me up, like I said, every time I do it, I get asked to do it again. And here I am. So that's kind of the, the journey, you know, such that it is. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, huh? It's, it and is. they keep asking me to do it. I, it's, it, it was a hard sell. It's hard to get people to say, hey, why don't you come sell? Let me talk to you about consent for a while. That's tough. Because what are they coming away with? It people doesn't don't, sound exciting. It's not exciting. Most people think they already understand consent intrinsically. Then I ask, really, when's the last time you went to a class? Because we don't have them. No, we don't. <laughs> Nobody learns consent. And it's, I mentioned it in my presentation. The, the, the state of sexual education in this country is a joke. And consent does not come up. At all. No. You can Google sexual education and consent in America. What you'll come up with is states, a list of states that you have to get parents' consent in order to teach sex ed for their children. It has nothing to do with consent in the interactions. No. Nope. It's not taught. No. Nope. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's abstinence only. It, no, no, yeah, I mean, that's it's all abstinence only. Pleasure doesn't come up in consent. Uh, uh-uh. uh. No, you know, it's basically it's an anatomy lesson. And by the way, go be terrified because you could die. <laughs> that's mean, in my presentation, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like don't have, have sex. sex you will die. You, yes. you'll, you'll get pregnant and then you'll die. Right. That's in my presentation, both English and Spanish. Yeah, and because it's so and, true. and that's been so successful, right? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know it's, it's like right now Canada is going through their issue because uh, they did redo their program, and the program that they did is basically I, I I'll, I'll admit it, I stole Canada's uh, sex ed program and made it into my own because it was age appropriate. Good. And then it had conversation starters. This is what you start at each conversation so that's what I did and now whatever the current government system wants to turn it back to 1998 which was like dude that was really bad you know you're you're really sending the country backwards so one um, one of the young ladies Nadine Thornhill um, we had her on the podcast last year we're going to have her again soon you know she's fighting it she's like no this is ridiculous we're trying to move forward and better educate our kids not yeah. just bring them back to the stone ages right yeah so yeah yeah, I mean, for me, I really believe it's 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 evolution. I mean, it, it's I say it in my presentation: human history is somewhere between five and ten thousand years old, and we've been screwing up the consent conversation for five to ten thousand years. We've got to be able to do better, and it's because consent wasn't a thing. You just basically the person in power did what they wanted to the person without the power, and as we're trying to evolve and become more civilized, that can't suffice anymore in a civilized society. You yeah. know, we need to be able to discuss and 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 negotiate. And agree and enthusiastically consent and be yeah. affirmative. You yes. know, and, and people like us have to teach this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And however we teach it and get it through, that's the way. Whatever works. I will talk to anybody that listen. I have done my presentation for a group of as big as 50. Uh-huh. I've done it for as small as one. I actually did it on a date a couple of times. Where I bring my laptop, set it up, and go through the PowerPoint presentation on a date. I'm that geek. Yes. I've done that before. I never <laughs> thought of doing that. It, it, it's it worked. How many dates do you go on? That you would do that. <laughs> oh no, no, we're not going back no. to that horror story. No, because <laughs> this this year has just been the year of bad dates for both of us. Oh no. Yes, extremely. So, because I am a certified kink aware professional. So I went through to understand the difference between ethical non-monogamy, power exchange, BDSM. Are you affiliated with Not yet. We're, okay. we're in the process of going on with that. Um, what is it? Gender, queer, and 
and gender identity and fetishes. So that's the five categories Sweet. that we go and we learn it and we studied it based off the John Gottman series, but King style. Okay, sweet. So it's really good. So I went on this date and literally the entire date I was, you know, talking about his marriage and everything. And I kind of like, oh my God, this is like, I charge $100 an hour for this and I'm on the date doing this. This oh, is no. wrong. I, I was so bad. And then I was like, you know, at this point I just, I did the, the pity sex. I did it because I felt bad. And then he's like, oh yeah. And then he high fived me. And I'm like, who high fives for having sex? Wow. See? I have never. No, never high five. Yeah. I feel like if someone high fived me after sex, I would. No, be... before. Oh, before? Before. Really? Yes. I, before. I, I, I. Yeah. I, yeah. I am speechless, and that's strange. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't like, shut up since I sat down, and now I have no words. Yeah. <laughs> so. Even when my girlfriend's is like, yeah, hands down, you just won worst date of the year. I'm like, exactly. I feel like you should get like a trophy or a, a grant or. It's a consolation prize. Something, really yeah. I mean, it's like, a, a discount escort service, something. I mean, something. shit. I mean, I, I would have just been happy. Just pay me my regular coaching fees at this point. You, you, you got away with a $30 meal from me yeah. at a nice bar. You would be able to do that if you go through a bad date, send somebody an invoice for the emotional labor. Wouldn't that be awesome? Ooh. That would be awesome. I'm going to bill you, so yeah. we'll make it up and put it on Google. Yes. <laughs> do it. I mean, yes. this, this is your bill for the emotional labor you made me go through last. I could have been doing anything. I could have been snorting coke off of a hooker's thigh but no i had to talk about your problems yes <laughs> yes and then just to find out the sex was horrible it's oh, just like no. oh god, god. Oh, man. i just yeah. told the guy just lose my number don't ever call me never man that's yeah I, I, i'm sorry yes <laughs> I, just, I, I don't know why i'm apologizing but i just but, i feel like it's yeah, it, so. it is because you're just like yeah. you know that's that falls under bad sex experiences you know? yeah bad date bad sex Bex, i mean yeah. can't you get one or the other but no yeah no when you got the whole thing yeah Whew. yeah, yeah you really like, should have built him yeah <laughs> It's like, oh, oh, labor and incidentals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. so, on that note, yeah. if you want, where can people reach you, Zach? So, I'm, the easiest way to reach me is on Twitter. I am at black underscore sex geek. You have to do the underscore. If you don't, you're going to get Ruby. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, at black underscore sex geek. Uh, I'm currently writing on medium.com slash sex pause blog, on the sex positive blog. Awesome. Medium.com. Um, yeah, those are two best places to get a hold of me. Um, that's where I'm probably the most active. And, yeah, maybe I'll be hitting the, the, some more of the conference circuit. I just got asked to come to Rocky Mountain again next year for Poly Living in Philly. So I'll be around. Yeah. Very cool. And if you're ever in Houston and looking to hook up, you know, email me. Let me know. And I'll show folks the sites. This is our first time doing this in Texas. Wow, sweet. So Welcome. we've usually done up and down the East Coast. Okay. And, cool. uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Sorry about the heat. Oh it's no, just, this is comfortable for us. We're from Florida. So. Oh, never mind. So then. this oh, is like so, yeah. yeah so you, I'm, I'm in Houston, so you yeah. guys would understand humidity. Yeah, the then. humidity. Yes. Yeah, yes, it's literally yes. raining or hot right uh, now. Yeah, so. exactly. And so of that's course, why happy hurricane season. Oh, yes. Yep. Yes, yes, <laughs> I think yes. we've gone through three already. Three, okay. three letters. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We didn't even know. It was just like yeah. So yeah. It, it comes and goes yeah, real fast. Yeah. You find out when it's coming at you. Yeah. Exactly. When it's really going to affect us. Other than that, we're like yeah, whatever. I know. When you go into the grocery store and the shelves are empty, you realize something's going on. Yeah. Oh no. 
I've, I've got, I've got, we stock up June 1st. I've got literally 150 bottles of water in my house right now. <laughs> just, hey, last year I'm in Houston during Harvey, I sat there smoking a cigar, reading, and just watching it rain for four days straight. So that, that, that was a thing that happened. <laughs> you know, so oh, yeah. yeah. You get used to that stuff. So. Yeah, best time to get content going. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, listen. I'm, I, I, if we're done, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for chat. telling your story. We oh, appreciate yeah. it. You're very welcome. And last thing, um, this will be broadcast on our podcast. Cool. I just want to make sure you're cool with that. Yeah, I'm okay. cool with that. Um, I need to find your podcast so I can download and listen. I need stuff to listen to when I yeah. run. There so you we'll, go. We'll, there you go. We'll do that. Okay, well, sure. All right. Awesome. Thanks thank everyone. You so much. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our show tonight. You can find us on our webpage, livinasexpositivelife.com, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on Living a Sex Positive Life, where you follow all our stories and adventures. You can find me on all social media as Miss Angelique Luna. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter as John C. Luna. Please reach out and let us know how we're doing. Please like, share all our contents, leave your opinions, comments, complaints. We accept it all. But we also like to thank our sponsor, The Woodshed. You can find them on their webpage, thewoodshedorlando.com. And they're also on FetLife and Facebook, where you could see a lot of their events and promotions going on. So thank you very much for uh, joining tonight. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. Bye. Bye.